0: Hi, I'm Clarissa and you are listening to Listen and Know, a premenstrual disorder health podcast. This podcast is for women who are struggling with premenstrual disorders, PMDs. I'll be talking about everything from symptoms to treatments to coping strategies. If you're new to PMDs, you're not alone. Millions of women around the world suffer from these conditions, and yet PMDs are still relatively unknown and misunderstood that's why I'm here. I want to raise awareness of PMDs and help women who are struggling to find the support they need. I'll be releasing new episodes every week. So be sure to subscribe and leave me a rating and a review. And if you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to cover, please let me know. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join me on this journey to better understand and manage PMDs. Please note, This podcast might bring up topics that are sensitive in nature because we share personal experiences with. Hey friends, welcome back to listen and know. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome to mid June. I can't believe how fast time is flying. Um, but I am so excited to share with you today some things that have been on my mind as a premenstrual disorder coach and some things that I have been working on for myself but also with my clients. So, we are going to work on today what happens as our hormones change and we get cravings, temptations and appetites that just will not go away. You know, these are some of the biggest things that people struggle with in um, trying to lose weight in dieting, but they're also some of the biggest struggles that women have as their hormones shift and change. And same with some men. So I think that you'll find something here really applicable. We're really going to discuss seven things that you can do to help you navigate those cravings and temptations and um, extreme appetites changes that you get during your cycle and also when you are trying to achieve goals within your personal nutrition and your body. So most of the time we know as general human beings what food is more nutritious or un, you know, less nutritious. Uh, if I held a bag of Oreos and an apple up, people would be able to tell me that the apple is more healthy than the Oreo. It, generally speaking, like broadly speaking, when we are trying to lose weight or we are going through our cycle, it's not that what we know changes, you know, it's that we're trying to be make healthy choices to have changes in our body. So we know what we want to achieve. We know that uh, we want to stay healthy and stay with our goals as we go through our cycle. And we roughly have an idea of the types of foods we should be eating, but we're still seeing such a, a low success rate of achieving our nutrition goals and our body goals and the ideals that we have for ourselves as we go through our hormonal cycle. Um our brains are wired to keep our bodies in maintenance. Our our brains love maintenance. It's kind of funny because challenges are what help us us grow, but our brains really don't like challenges. They just want to maintain. They want to keep even keel. And I guess when challenges come, that's what drives us to solve our problems is that We want peace of mind, right? We want happiness. That's kind of the root of all the things that we choose to take on. And so our brains really don't want us to lose weight. Our brains really don't want us to have struggle um, or challenge. And so they are constantly bombarded with things from the environment uh, that then trigger cravings, temptations, and uh, give us appetites that eventually wear us down. And we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, why that is. But once we have this initial motivation that waxes and wanes, you know, it becomes harder to resist these cravings, temptations and appetites that we get, especially as our hormone cycle, because then we're not just playing with what's in our environment. We're playing with what's in our body's environment as well. So, in look looking over time in an evolutionary sense, food was scarce. A drive to eat meant greater chances of survival. So therefore humans pass that on in our genes. So uh, we have a drive to fill our bodies with food so that we can survive. The difference now between, then and now, hundreds of thousands of years ago and now, is that food is not scarce. In fact, it's like ridiculously abundant. Everywhere we look, we're food. Plus, on top of that, science has come so far in food that now food is calorie-dense, high-rewarding, Because food has been created that way because people know that that gives dopamine hits and then our brains are geared towards those dopamine hits because it's telling us that we can survive if we have those dopamine hits. So if we intake what is in our what is from our environment into our bodies then we have these dopamine rewards that that's setting us up to tell our brains that we are going to survive and have great success so then there's this mismatch right and so that's the key reason why we're having this hard time uh reaching our goals it's not necessarily that we don't have the ability to do that it's that it it's not our ability alone that plays into us succeeding in our goals. So, I've heard in friendships that you become like the five people you keep around you the most, right? So, I have my own characteristics already, and I have who I want to become. And so, if I choose friends of who I want to become, Those friends around me, plus my inner desires and my inner characteristics that I already have, if you add those three things together, we then morph and shift to become more like the people in our outside environment. So what is in our environment really makes a difference. So let's talk about seven things we can do, things that we can uh, take accountability on and be in charge of that can really help us in Um, navigating cravings, temptations, and extreme appetites. Now, I want to talk about those seven things, but I do feel like we need to talk about the chemical changes within our body. So estrogen that rises twice in a female cycle, once during ovulation, it peaks at its highest. And then the second time during luteal phase, and it peaks at its second highest, but it stays elongated for a longer period of time estrogen actually feeds off of carbohydrates. Carbohydrates in a simple term are sugars for our body. So carbohydrates give us sugar. We get carbohydrates from anything that we eat. um, But more often we get carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables and grains um, in whole foods, but then we have highly palatable foods, which would be like granola bars and white bread and rice and pasta and donuts and baked goods and candy and soda and sugary drinks and fruit juice, even those all are higher in carbohydrates than they are in proteins and fat. So then we have this desire, this innate inner chemistry that is craving those things so that our estrogen can thrive. Now that's not a bad thing. Our brains actually also need carbohydrates to stay focused. So carbohydrates are a good thing, but it's about the source that we're getting them from, right? We want something that's more whole in, uh, in processing. So the least amount of processed as possible. I like to talk to my clients about finding things that don't have labels, or if they do have a label, they only have like five ingredients or less on the label that's just a tool and a tip that you can use as you shop. So, you know, strawberries are going to have carbohydrates in them, but there's going to be a lot less processed than if I'm picking up a granola bar or a breakfast bar in a different aisle in the grocery store. So as we make these choices, um, they affect our bodies differently. A strawberry is going to have different nutrients, Value and nutrient levels than a breakfast bar in the grocery store aisle. The breakfast bar was created so that once you had that, you actually crave more of that breakfast bar because it gave you a faster, more instantaneous spike of energy to keep your body going. Now, I think there's a time and a place for something like that. And In my coaching, I never say no to anything, any types of foods. I let my clients navigate that for themselves, but I do push towards the idea that our sources of food become important for us in the long run. Because as we choose sources, again, that strawberry is not created to help us crave more. That strawberry is giving us certain nutrients and vitamins and uh, compounds that our bodies need and will be more healthy than a processed granola bar where they take out those nutrients in order to make it more palatable for our body and a better tasting, right? Hit those dopamine rushes. Then we can even go as far as something is processed like, uh, I hate to say it, but like a Twinkie or something like that, that is highly processed, highly calorie dense and a huge rush of dopamine or even, you know, a soda or a a sugary drink that is going to just hit our blood sugar really fast and spike that. Now, estrogen makes us crave that because what estrogen is saying to our bodies when it's high is, I want you to be able to, your body to be able to host and keep a baby uh, in your body and keep it healthy and alive. And so I want you to eat these carbohydrates so that you can uh, build that baby. It's an amazing thing when we really look at the science behind why we have these cravings. On top of the, the estrogen rising, our body temperature is also higher during the second half of our menstrual cycle. So like the last 14 days before your period starts in that luteal phase, you're probably craving more food because as your body temperature is higher, we actually are expending more energy, right? Energy creates heat. And so we actually need 100 to 200 calories. Females need 100 to 200 calories more as their estrogen is higher. So if you are taking estrogen pills, you might find that your appetite is higher, you might find that your cravings higher and that's or in that luteal phase and that's because we are Uh, we are burning more calories in order to survive. And then we're burning more calories because we're also building an environment for a baby to thrive if we are pregnant, if females are pregnant. So there's kind of the hormonal basis around that. So when we put in the factors of our environment and we put in the factors of our hormones, sometimes this can be a perfect storm for not achieving the health goals that we want and having these intense cravings and having these in, these temptations that we feel like we just can't navigate that can cause some emotional uh stress and sadness when we don't reach our goals uh as females especially those who experience extreme cravings um women with PMDs experience intense insatiable cravings uh, because their dopamine receptors are struggling in their brains, as well as that estrogen could possibly be extremely high. And we are sensitive to those changing hormones and therefore more sensitive to the cravings that are around us. So it might take more food or more carbohydrates to fulfill that craving. In the food science heart of things on top of food companies being able to, uh, create foods that are very tasty to our brains. They also know that carbohydrates paired with a fat actually increases that receptor that dopamine hit. So when you think about everything that is in nature, The only thing that has carbohydrates and fats together is actually mother's breast milk. Nothing else in nature has a carbohydrate and a fat put together. It will either be uh, carbohydrates on their own or carbohydrates and protein or uh, fat and protein, but not carbohydrates and fat. When those two things get put together, it's like Dynamite to our brain, and we love it. It's a thrill. And so, when you think about the things that you crave when you are experiencing PMS cravings, PMDD cravings, or cravings, period, is your body's usually craving baked goods, which are a combination of satiating fats and high carbohydrates. So, that's something interesting to think about our food science then puts these two together to create a baked good. And our brain just is on fire because it loves it. And it says, this is survival. This is success. But that's really not what our modern day bodies need and our modern day lifestyles. And so we actually need to be aware of that in order to be able to Uh, navigate these temptations and cravings and appetite changes that we experience. So now let's get into our seven. So number one is kind of what we've been talking about is our environment. If you leave out a bowl of cookies on the counter, you will eat the bowl of cookies. But also if you leave out a bowl of strawberries You will eat the strawberries. If you leave out a bowl of cereal, you will eat the cereal. And if you leave out the bowl of vegetables, you will eat the veggies. Whatever is in our vision or in our environment around us will have an effect on us. So clear out the tempting foods. Don't keep them in the house. I like to talk to my clients about planning the time that they're going to go out and get a treat. Because if it's out of sight, it's not an option. Our minds don't see that. And our minds won't focus on that. Now, I get a lot of women in my coaching practice who say, but my husband is always bringing things home, or my kids leave things out on the counter. You know, they might not uh, accept you throwing out the food. So, in our house, because of that, let me, I want to tell you my personal experience with that in our house, because of that, we have what's called the carb cupboard. And I let my kids and husband put all the, the foods that they want in their own cupboard. Also, if sometimes if the food is out, I leave the environment so that I'm not tempted uh, to eat those things. So sometimes I, when my nutrition goals especially during my luteal phase are to stick with the boundaries that I have set for myself and the guidelines that I've set for myself. I specifically try and stay out of the kitchen when others are eating. And it's I have communicated that with my family and they understand why instead of being upset at me because I took that time to communicate. So you can leave, you can get rid of the temptations if you can't. You know, make a separate cupboard, a separate room out in the garage, you know, or, you know, make yourself have your own drawer in the fridge. Like that can, that's a small change within the environment that can have a huge impact on the behaviors, the choices that you make. Our brain likes things that are easy. So we want to maximize the effort that it takes to reach the poor choices for our body the poor choices of unhealthy foods so we want to make it as hard as possible to reach those foods for example you can put it up in the cupboard in the back in a bag in a box and you'll you'll be actually less likely to eat that than if it is right on the counter or right when you open the cupboard right um you can also have to like i said plan going out to get your treat or dessert or sweet or craving or temptation when we go out it puts in more effort it's not heavily available you know it might be closed the store might be closed or you might not be able to reach it at that time um or you might not even want to go out and so that can also uh, change your behavior that way plus when you go out you're more likely to only buy one and not bring it home. You can make that guideline for yourself, not bring it home. And so then you buy one and you eat it and you enjoy it. And then you go home and go on your way. And there's not the 11 others in the box. And I say that from personal experience, you know, oh, we'll just get, you know, we'll get a dozen instead of just six and uh, we'll just bring them home. And then they get left out on the counter all day. And I'm the one in the kitchen cooking all day. And therefore, I am the one picking at the other 11 treats that are in the box on the counter. And then I don't reach my goals. So it's important during those times of craving that we minimize how much we're bringing into our environment, uh, through our own choices, but also through, uh, where they are located. All right. So removing temptation from our environment, clean out an environment and make an environment that supports your goals, right? Uh, letting the people know around you what your goals are and understand that you don't want to sabotage for yourself. And so that's important to create that environment. All right. Number two, moving on to number two, separate eating from other activities. I don't know about you, but we tend to have this food script that we write for ourselves that when we go to a movie, we need to have a bowl of popcorn and we mindlessly eat the bowl of popcorn the whole entire time. And then our stomach's upset. Is that you? Maybe just me. Because that is something that I've realized that I have a script of. Like when I watch a movie, I need some sort of treat or snack. Whoever said that that was, you know, what was appropriate? And so what our culture is teaching us is yeah, we we of course they want us to eat that food. That's how they get their money. Most companies make the most money off of those add-on treats that you buy when you walk into the movie theater, not from the movie itself. You know, what other kind of food scripts do we have like that when, you know, when we have friends over that we need to have food always food is community, but we need to make sure that we're doing this, uh, in an appropriate way. For example, let's eat at the dinner table. Let's not eat while we're watching TV or scrolling on our phone. How many of us, when we eat alone, pull up social media or pull up work or pull up a book. You know, we want to minimize the distractions that take away from the experience of eating. I think that that's most of the problem because when we're looking at our food, we're actually present with the nutrition that we're giving our bodies. We tend to eat less when we're distracted up to 44% less we eat when we are focusing and being more mindful on our food eating slowly is important. And so we're, when we're mindfully eating, we can savor those bites and we can taste the different textures on our tongue and the different tastes on our tongue and flavors. And so as we separate our eating from other activities, it allows us to slow down. It allows us to focus on food and then we can be more mindful. We feel more full and satisfied when we eat this way. I challenge you to test that out this week. You know, Take one meal a day that you have not been eating separately from other things and sit down and really enjoy that food. So let's, let's give an example. If we stop eating while watching the TV, our brain stops associating food with these activities. So we are flipping the script that the food script that we have. If we're used to watching TV in the evening while eating cookies, We're going to find that we think about cookies every time we sit down in front of the TV, even if it's not just at night. So our brain learns and, and, uh, adapts to TV equals cookies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we'll have those urges and those cravings. And then that continues into bad habits where then we're not even thinking about the reaction to, that trigger when the trigger is a TV, which has nothing to do with food, but we've associated that. We're technically Pavlov's dog. Yep. I just equated all of us to Pavlov's dog. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the saying that said, if Pavlov's dog drooled every time he ringed a bell, when the dog drooled, did Pavlov want to ring the bell? I think that's really interesting. That I wonder if that association went both ways, right? Okay. I always digress, but we're going to get back on. So we're talking about separating our eating from other activities. So we don't want to associate, have our brain associate certain activities with eating. So we just need to stop. It comes down to increasing the effort required to make, um, poor, Diet choices, poor nutrition choices, because when we separate eating from other activities, we have to be present with our food. And therefore, we tend to make better diet choices. All right. So let's move on to number three. This is stop snacking. Yeah. Stop snacking. Now, I understand that there's a time and a place when we are so hungry that we need to focus on getting a snack. Okay. But Our focus, our full focus needs to be on having good full meals so that we are not uh, snacking mindlessly outside of the meals that we need to eat. So snacking throughout the day without having full meals can lead to uh, this cycle where it's like just not enough in satiating us. And so then we become hungry between meals and we're not satisfied between those times that we eat. That's really not a fun thing to do is to always be hungry and to always find ourselves uh, eating. This becomes really important during the luteal phase to get the right types of food and the right amount of food for your body so that we don't have a snacking problem. I tend to, um, for me with PMDD, And a lot of women that I coach, they tend to want to constantly eat. And as we switch up the type of macros that they're eating, we'll find that they become more satiated and that they snack less. So eating the right types of food for our body during the right time in our phase is important and that will shift and uh, ebb and flow during the cycle of our month. And most women don't know that. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, go back and watch the episode on um, an overview of your menstrual cycle so you can start understanding where you're at. And then we'll dive into that more as more episodes of this podcast come out. So snack foods are snack foods in particular. So we're talking about packaged, processed, right? Crispy, sweet, salty, chocolatey like foods that have what I call in my coaching practice no breaks. You cannot stop eating them. These are so easy to overeat. They don't fill you up and they won't satiate you. And they're made like that on purpose. And you put that and you mix that with high hormones. And we have a perfect storm for eating so much more caloric intake or energy intake that our bodies don't need, but our brains love. So we'd be better off saving the calories that we were eating for uh nutritious meals um, instead of for snacking. If you do choose to have a snack. Like usually I'll have a snack between, uh, lunch and dinner. And sometimes I need two snacks that we want to make sure that we are filling our bodies with high protein, uh, less processed carbohydrates and some fats because fats are satiating. And during that luteal phase, we actually want a little bit more fat, um, to help us feel more satiated and we want to make sure that our carbohydrates are coming from less processed, highly nutrient dense foods. So we're talking about fruits and vegetables and um, whole grains versus processed breads and crackers and chips and foods that give us energy super fast. We don't really want, we don't want to create blood sugar waves. And we've talked a little bit about that here on the podcast. So we want to keep our blood sugar uh, waves as minimal as possible instead of really high highs and really low lows, even though our brain is telling us that we need energy right now, like give me whatever right now. So we just want to make sure we're doing minimally processed, highly satiating, protein full, uh, things that we can't really overeat. So, that is stop snacking. So, we're talking about making sure we're eating enough and then also making sure that we're eating nutrient dense foods instead of what is in snack aisles of grocery stores. Okay. So, moving on, this kind of falls in line with that as lim- limit hyper palatable foods. So, hyper palatable foods means they're super tasty, right? And they're easy to overeat. Our brain loves them, a combination of fat and salt and sugar, right? We talked about uh putting fat and sugar together. Well, then we add salt in that and it's like even more so, and it becomes a hyper-palatable food. These foods rarely occur in nature, right? We talked a little bit about that a few minutes ago. And so they're also highly processed and calorie dense a hundred grams of Oreos looks like two to three Oreos, but a hundred grams of, uh, strawberries or a hundred calories of Oreos looks like two to three Oreos, a hundred calories of strawberries looks like about two cups of strawberries. If I remember right. And so we're talking about a lot more food, uh, in things that are less calorie dense and are more nutritious for you. And things that are calorie dense is actually a lot of calories in a little bit of food. Um, even some protein bars are calorie dense, right? A little teeny bar is like 350 calories sometimes. And so we need to make sure that we want things that are low calorie dense, right? Um, so they have like watermelon, you could eat a ton of watermelon, you could eat a ton of sugar snap peas, you could eat a ton of uh plain greek yogurt because those are those have less calories for the amount of food you're eating. And then highly processed things with five ingredients or less again, that's the super helpful tip and trick. Now that's not like a perfect guideline. It's a, something little we can we can roll off of that makes it easy and effortless for us on top of being um highly palatable because it's processed and it's calorie dense our brains love these foods because it's easy for our body to remember that they have uh, pro- been processed for your brain to be able to love them like i said even protein bars um some most low calorie and quote unquote healthy snacks fall into the category of highly palatable. And that's not all to say you can't include them in your diet because sometimes we need them. But if you're someone who struggles with appetite and feeling full and being satiated, it might be wise to forego foods that are hyper palatable. All right, moving on to number five, we are going to prioritize foods that will highly satiate and foods that are minimally, minimally processed. Okay. So we're talking about foods like fruits, vegetables, lean meats, uh, potatoes, fish, eggs, whole grains, beans, legumes, oats, and plain yogurt, and some cheeses. These foods are really hard to overeat. They're often less calorie dense. Like what we talked about, they're the opposite of highly palatable. They have higher protein. They have higher fiber. Fiber helps, um, fiber will expand. As it soaks up water in our digestive system and it makes us feel full. So they're highly satiating and therefore very unlikely that we can overconsume them. Um, I know of a study that was done where a professor talks about fiber and how important it is. The average person needs about 25 grams of fiber in a day to keep their nutrient their digestive system running healthy but you can always have more of that and it will differ between people and the times of your cycle as well but this professor uh juiced 5 oranges and then the professor had 5 whole oranges that were peeled and had two different students one student drink the orange juice from 5 oranges and the other student try and eat the 5 oranges well, what happens is the person who drank the five orange, orange juice was actually able to drink all of it just fine. The person who had to eat five oranges most of the time, but I think it was like 92.3% of the time. I don't know how they came up with that stat. uh threw up because our bodies literally cannot handle the, um, as much the amount of fiber that was in the full five oranges. So right there, that goes to show us. And then there was something to be said about then that student who ate the full, the oranges didn't want to eat the rest of the day because they were full on that fiber versus the orange juice spiked up the blood sugar, caused a cyclical cycle, and then that person ended up eating more. So that's the results of that study. But what I love about that is showing that the orange juice came from an orange. So you might think that it's, quote unquote healthy, but we're taking out the fiber. So therefore we're not satiated and our body is not um registering that it's full from that. So foods that are highly um that have high satiety and that are minimally processed are really hard to eat. They really have breaks on them. You really don't ever overeat vegetables um you really don't overeat fruits because they make us feel full and we want that. And so picking those foods is really important. So instead of saying, maybe instead of, if you're looking at the last two that we talked about, limiting highly hyperpalatable foods and adding in, high satiety, minimally processed foods. Maybe it would be good for your brain to focus on things that you can add in before you take anything out because it's easier and it feels like abundance when we add in, it's kind of a trick to our brains than when we take out. And then once you get that, that adding in all of those fruits and vegetables into your diet that you need and that your body needs, then it might be easier to take out some of those hyper palatable foods. Moving on to something else we can do. We are at number six. Don't allow hunger to become extreme. So when we don't eat and our hunger becomes extreme, sometimes our monkeys get out of our brain. That's what I like to call them in our house with my girls. And we talk about that. The monkeys will take over and they will put all rationale out the window. And kind of like the idea that intermittent fasting is a good thing. Now, now hear me out on this because I know intermittent fasting is very popular, but it's a tool and it's not for everybody. And it's not for females at certain times in their cycle. So you need to find out what works for you. That can either be through like a coaching session with me or another nutrition coach or talking to your doctor, or just by tracking your cycle and understanding why and, um, your hormones and why that might not work for you. That might be the lifestyle that you lead. Um, a lot of athletes cannot do intermittent fasting because they need more calories than they can possibly intake in a feeding window. Um, depends on your goals. It depends on how old you are. It depends on where your hormones are at. So there's a lot. So just again, it's not for everybody, not because I'm against it, but just because I'm saying, uh, we need to take into consideration your individual needs. If you can happily skip breakfast and then have lunch as your first meal, like a lot of men can do that, but a lot of women cannot. Again, we talked about that. But if fasting leads you to overeat later in the day, then it's probably not a good thing for your body. Remember, it's not the only method to help us have healthy bodies. And if it doesn't work for you, you need to look at something else. An idea might be spreading your meals throughout the day. Uh, to help your hunger level stay. When I talk with my clients, I usually say on a scale of one to 10, one is you're just ridiculously hungry. You're going to die. You can hardly function. 10 is like Thanksgiving dinner where you've overeaten. You have to unbutton your pants. We want to stay in a range of four to seven all the time, constantly. So we never want to get under a four and we never want to be over a seven. So what does that look like for you? I had a girlfriend tell me once who coached with me say that she needs to always have something with her. Like, she's like, I'm like an old Ford. You just got to constantly be giving me fuel. Got to constantly, I'm constantly in maintenance versus, you know, a Porsche or a Ferrari, or maybe even a Tesla that can go super far and doesn't always need that maintenance. So what does that, what does that look like for you, where you can stay on that hunger scale between four and seven and not respond in a crazy monkey way, right? Where rationales all out the window and you just eat whatever, but also not, um, not prohibiting yourself in that. Like, I, I don't feel full enough, type of mode. So that's number six. So not allowing our hunger to become extreme. That's really important, uh, in our cycles when we are being driven by chemicals versus by our rationale, right? Because sometimes then the monkeys get out of the cage and we don't realize it. Um, also like during the menstrual phase, we don't crave as much because our hormones are low. We might feel nauseated. So prioritizing those, uh high fiber high satiety, minimally processed foods adding those in will help keep your hunger levels uh at a place where you feel like you're not nauseated, but you're also not going to be sick because you ate too much and then finally, we are at number seven. This is our last one. you're gonna consult your future self. I love this idea because when my clients come in, we talk about who they want to be when they're done coaching with me. They want, most people want to be happy and content with their bodies. Most people want to be like, I'm going to be making good, healthy choices. And that's going to allow me to keep up with my kids. And I'm going to minimalize my, um, <clears throat> Premenstrual dysphoric symptoms, maybe not get rid of them all the way. I mean, that would be nice, but we know there's not a cure for a lot of PMDD. But there is some relief from the symptoms that we have. So when we talk to our future self and we ask, "What kind of person are you?" and that that future person says, "You know, I I work out every day, and I'm a really good mom, and I show up for my kids." Um, I'm a really great employee. I feel, I feel healthy and energized throughout the day and positive. Well, how did you do that? What did, what did your nutrition look like in order for you to be able to reach this optimal personal self, not an ideal on social media and not somebody that you see and idolize, but for yourself, what, what does your optimal health look like? you know, it removes ourselves from where we are right now and it puts us into the future and it helps us remember our goals and the reasons why we're choosing what we're choosing. And it helps us look at the hard work that we've done so far and helps us break down the future steps that we need to take and the daily decisions that we need to take for the future. right? And so then that creates our basic to-dos every day. So if you consult your future self, put ourselves into the future, ask us how we did it, then we can look back and our brain is so good at solving problems that it can say, well, I was A, B, C, D, E. And then you say, oh, well, those are A, B, C, D, E things that I need to do every single day. Exercise, uh, eat minimally processed foods, add it in my fruits and veggies, eat a lot of colorful foods, um, <clears throat> get the right amount of sleep, uh, you know, Ooh, maybe I need to add a number eight in there. I'm going to go to something in just a second, something that I thought of, but uh, you know, we talked about stopping snacking. Like I'm not just going to go mindlessly into the kitchen. I I ate out on my back patio every morning and I put my phone away so that I could just be present with nature and the food that I'm eating. I keep a bowl of carrots out on the counter. So if I do get snacky, that's the first thing I eat. I also have told my family the uh, goals that I have, and we moved all of the snack foods into a cupboard that I don't allow myself to go in. Um, and those types of things. If I, if I look back on the past and I'm talking to my future self, that, that future self will be able to tell me what I did. And that's so cool that we did that. Okay. I think I'm going to add a number eight in here and I'm going to say stress management and within that realm, sleep management as well. And the reason that I say that is when we are sleep deprived or when we are high in stress, it raises our cortisol. And in order to be able to combat our cortisol, we need to raise our dopamine and um, when we're tired, our cortisol also runs higher and we need to raise our dopamine. And what happen- how do we raise our dopamine super fast? Oh, we eat sugar, fat, and salt all put together. And so then we get these cravings. Uh, we don't have a lot of energy when we are, you know, missing sleep. When we are missing our take out the trash time and rejuvenate time, we're going to crave more because we cannot function on crappy rest. So I'm going to put that as number eight, that our bodies need about seven to eight hours of sleep every night. And if you're not prioritizing that, you're setting yourself up for failure, uh, in creating cravings and the inability to withstand temptations and the increase in appetite because our body is going to automatically want more foods. So we actually have eight now. We're going to remove temptations from our environment. We are recapping. So let's remove temptations from our environment. Let's separate eating from other activities, stop snacking, limit hyper palatable foods prioritize. So add in minimally processed, satiating whole foods. Don't allow our hunger to become too extreme. Stay between a four and seven on that scale, consult our future self and uh, regulate our stress and our sleep. So eight things you can do to help those cravings and temptations that we get during the luteal phase of our cycle. You know, when we do these eight things, especially during our cycle, we can, if we, if we do them at the right time, we can minimize our PMD um, symptoms and we can achieve success within our cycle instead of coming out of our cycle, feeling ashamed of the choices that we made. You know, we can never stop. Working on these things, even on the good days. So even on the good days, if we were to add in, you know, if we were to stop doing these things and suddenly we're snacking on the good days, our body's going to be wired to want that on our bad days. And then when we're struggling chemically inside and our chemicals are off and when I talk about chemicals, I'm talking about hormones when our hormones are shifting and those cravings come naturally from those hormones, then our brains are doubly wired because we were already feeding our bodies those uh, foods. So as we focus on this during our good days, we will do better during our bad days. So it is a constant work, especially for women who have premenstrual disorders to be able to take care of our bodies, even if we don't, have like extreme health goals, like weight loss or build muscles, even if we just want to maintain where we're at, it's really important to, um, work on these things because it can be the difference between having a severe PMD month or minimizing, you know, those PMDs for your month. So read it. Um, you you can follow, get all of these insights on the show notes, um, understand it, listen to this again, implement it into your life. Like these are eight things that we really did talk about. These are things you can start working on today. You know, it's not going to mean anything if I just give this to you and you don't use anything. And I'm just going to put that out there as your coach, right? So give yourself maybe even a checklist or a goal for the week, uh, that you can take some of these action points that ring true to you and apply them into your life because they can totally change your life for the better, especially in minimizing premenstrual disorders and those intense insatiable cravings and temptations that come. Remember, I go through PMDD every month. I'm right there with you. I'm doing these things with you. I'm not out of that fog. There is not a happily ever after for me. And so I am working on these things with you. And I love doing these podcasts because it's a reminder for me of the things that I need to work on right now as I'm looking through this and I'm thinking about my cycle coming up i'm thinking specifically about sleep since it 's summertime and I'm busy playing with my family and i'm thinking about the removing temptations from my environment maybe I'm thinking maybe this week that I will put a bowl of vegetables out on my counter, and so when I walk into the kitchen, I have something easily to snack on that I can curb those extreme cravings with as I go into my luteal phase and maybe help me in achieving my goals as well because I want to feel good about my body. I want to be comfortable and confident in my body. And I know that you do too. All right. Seven, eight things you can do to help you when you get cravings, temptations, and appetite changes during premenstrual disorders. And in all honesty, anytime that you have a nutrition goal for yourself. All right. Thanks guys. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Listen and Know. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative. Also, if you know someone who might benefit from this information and these ideas, please share this podcast and send people to the Adagio Fit website and Instagram account where there are more resources, past podcast episodes, and the ability to coach with me. Also, if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, please let me know. I want to remind you that you are not alone. Millions of women around the world suffer from PMDs and there is help available. If you are struggling, please reach out to your doctor or a mental health professional. There are also many online resources available, such as my website, adagiofit.com, the Premenstrual Disorders Association website, pmda.org, or the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders, IAPMD.org. Remember, help is personal and possible. You are not alone. Thank you for listening. Please note, this podcast is in no way to replace your primary care health doctor. I am not a doctor or a professional, and I ask that you consult with yours before you make any significant health changes. Thanks.